This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I think so. I think uh, we had a really strong performance right from the beginning. We were really dominant. We created uh, many chances. And we went uh, goal down the first shot that uh, they had. And it was. I love the reaction of the team. Uh, they stay calm. They stay composed. We stick to the plan that we had. Um, and we played really well, scored the goal. And, and at the end, win the game, even though probably is the worst 10 minutes that I've seen us play as well, the way we manage the game at the end. That's all about if, if they are smiling and they have some joy and some happiness today, for me is the most fulfilling thing so, as a manager representing this club and I know they have some difficult nights uh, recently and, and today to give them some joy is something they fully deserve. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Well, what do you know? North London, just like Manchester, is red. Mikel Arteta dedicating the derby win to Arsenal fans. Hello there, it's me, Ross. This is Off the Ball, Monday evening. Trust everybody had a great weekend. Indoors, indoors, wearing masks. <laughs> I know Nicholas Arnil was out and about dancing, supporting Leeds United. Hello, Nick. <laughs> Hi, Ross. How you doing? And, and, and so was Arvin Sidhu, because I've seen the videos. Hello, Arvin. Hello, everyone. It was good to be out and seeing a game with another fan club, the Chelsea fan club. So it was good fun. Yeah, good game too. Good game too. Craig Wilkie joins us as well. Hello, Craig. Good evening, Ross. I went out to play football and I'm still feeling it today. Yeah, I, I saw, I saw. I think you need 28 tubes of Tiger Balm, actually. I do indeed. I do. <laughs> uh, tweet us all individually. Find us all on Twitter or tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel out where we talk about the other European leagues. It's uh, TFIF on video. Check it out. Right, we heard Arteta at the start. Arsenal 2, Tottenham 1. Um, it looked like Spurs were going to win this one because at first they were under a bit of pressure, but then a Rabona goal from Lamella. I mean, I've had a Ribena in match before, a sip, but I've never... <laughs> you played football, Craig, this weekend. Did you do a Rabona? <laughs> I didn't even do a Ribena. It was, uh... <laughs> yeah, what, what an absolutely fantastic finish it was. It was, watch it in real time, I couldn't even tell exactly what he'd done. And when you saw it back on the replay, you just thought, wow, the, the imagination, first of all, to come up with it when the ball's broken to him. And then the, the technique for the execution was just something phenomenal. And I, I don't think we'll see a, a goal like that for a very long time. And it gave Spurs... A foothold in the game, you know, they started okay. They were maybe starting to put Arsenal under a little bit of pressure at that point. But they, they never really took it on from there. And you've got to give Arsenal credit for the, the way they responded after that. Yeah. And I thought throughout, throughout the 90 minutes, Arsenal were the better side, uh, despite some of those flashes from Spurs. But when you get a goal like that, it's just a, it's one of those things you're going to talk about for a while. Um, but overall, overall, when you're looking at the game, I think Mourinho's... Mourinho's going to be wondering about that group of players and, and you know, did how many of them really turned up for a derby match? Whereas Arteta, on the other hand, you know, we've asked questions about the mentality of his squad. We've asked questions about where are the leaders, sometimes where's the quality coming through. I think he got good answers to all of those things the other night. So a lot for him to be feeling good about this Monday evening. Yeah. Um, Jose Mourinho, um, Spurs fans will be 
talking about negative tactics again, Arvin. Um, did they did they miss out on a chance here? I mean, it's not a typical Mourinho for performance, right? You go one up, you're away from home. Normally, you shut up and maybe nick a second. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't really look good on him right now because he came out before the match and says that I don't look down on the teams below me being Arsenal and I only look up. Sometimes you, you need to learn when to say certain things because these things tend to come back and haunt you in football. And that's what it did. Uh, but they were totally flat. Totally I flat. he no, said that, no, you know. I, I yeah, really forgot. <laughs> no, no fuel. And then he, he comes out and blasts his players and says that they went into hiding mode. And, and we know what Moreno has done this year on year because he takes away from the performance and kind of makes it about everything else. Comes out and says the referee, oh, there's yeah. no press conference with the referee after and all that. But no, I mean, on the day itself... When you lose someone like Song Hyun Min, Song Hyun Min, no matter for me, no matter what, no matter if the, all the other 10 players can be down on fuel or down on, on, on any effort, Song Hyun Min will always put the effort. But when your player like Song Hyun Min goes out, uh, yeah, he took off Tango and Domblay at one point. Gareth Bale wasn't like what he was the week before. Uh, Matt Doherty, for me, I, I don't think that there's a Spurs future with him. Moreno has come out a couple of weeks ago and says that he doesn't know if Matt Doherty will stay longer. And when you say that about a player and you put him in, what kind of response do you expect? Well, yeah, what do you players, expect, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then your general, Hoiberg as well, had missed passes. The only one that I thought did all right besides Son was probably Lucas Mora. Lucas Mora looked lively and looked like he wanted to put it in. Yeah. But there was a whole host of things right now. And and I think Moreno um, would, would feel there were a lot of negatives last night and it, it didn't bode well because he loves playing Arsenal. Uh, comes on and says comments like that. Didn't work out for him. So No, didn't work out for him. But we, we cannot take away... The Arsenal performance, Nicholas, I know they did it without skipper Obama Young, who was apparently um, disciplinary issues. Uh, I Well, if you read social media, either he went to get a haircut or got an extra tattoo or something and he got he got punished. So even without him, but the performance, it was it was a solid Arsenal comeback and they were worthy of the goals, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, they dominated from the start. And I thought um, Arteta, you know, made such a big intent. You know, this probably uh, was one of his bigger decisions, you know, since taking over Arsenal. You know, the first was um, uh, uh, freezing out uh, Ozil. And now, you know, he he drops Abumayang. And, um, you know, the news that have come out, the reason why Abumayang did not make the squad, because he was late for training, you know. So, you know, it shows that there was no preferential training. (laughs) Probably, (laughs) Probably after a haircut. You know, uh, and he was he was very straightforward in his uh, pre-match comments. You know, uh, I think the broadcaster was trying to probe him into asking. He said, "No, it's a decision that has been yeah. made." and he said, it's, "It's done now. He's available yeah. in the next game." So, yeah. do, do you was, like the way Arteta's running Arsenal? I I think he's 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 stamped his mark in this team. You know, he shows no player is above the club. You know, and players who are in the team should be playing for the team, and that's exactly what Arsenal set out to do. You know. From the start, they already stamped their mark against this first side. You know, and what, what uh, really impressed me was Bukaya Saka and Emil Smith's role. You know, both these teenage terrorists were absolutely tormenting Spurs. And it, it looked like just a matter of time that they were going to get that goal. And I think uh, once um, <clears throat> they got the equalizer, the second half uh, was totally about Arsenal. And, and Spurs, like Arvin mentioned, simply had no answers. They were, second, they were playing second fiddle throughout the match. And it was a completely comprehensive win for Arsenal. Yeah, it was a comprehensive 2-1, certainly. Um, All right, the 3.15 a.m. game. Sorry if you woke up to to watch it. There were, I think, maybe two shots on goal, 
worth gasping at. Uh, Man United won West Ham nil. It was a uh, Craig Dawson own goal. I like to point out that it comes from Greater Manchester, so really it's Manchester boy scoring at Old Trafford. <laughs> but um, question for you here, Craig. I know a lot. Uh, you have to take last night's result into account here, but. It remains that the question remains the same. Um, have United improved this season? Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer any good? Now, after seeing last night's game, you go, ah! And I'm saying that as a fan. So what do you say? <laughs> well, th- those are two different questions there, right? <laughs> <laughs> have Manchester United improved and is Ole any good? You know, there's so much split opinion on, on all of those things. And I, I believe, yes, Manchester United have improved. I think they have to improve a lot I know further. Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw has improved. Yeah. So the, you, you look at it in a number... I always look at judging a manager in a number of different ways, right? You look at how has he done in the transfer market? I think he's done okay. If you look at the likes of, especially Fernandez coming in, how does he do in terms of his team selection week by week? Now, I know that's maybe one area where fans have questions in the past, but by and large, I don't think there's been a lot of complaints about the team that he's been sending out. And then you look at tactically, you know, can, how the way he sets his team up for, for certain games. And then maybe there again, sometimes you could say that against teams that are going to defend deep or going to sit back, does he have enough tactical flexibility to try and break them down? And maybe we saw a little bit of an issue with that in the West Ham game. But overall, I think you still have to give him credit for the job that he's done, given where Manchester United were when he took over and, and where they're going. And I don't think they're there yet, but they're, yeah. they're definitely... I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, maybe it being a disappointing season and... What's second in the league, right? And so, but I thought the game against West Ham was was all about Mason Greenwood. And you know, there's a player who's had a lot, scored, didn't he? <laughs> who's, who's who's had a lot of question marks, yeah. you know, raised against him, and especially this season when he you know broke onto the scene last season, and everybody thought he was going to be a an absolute phenomenon, and has maybe had a few questions over discipline, maybe his attitude. But I thought he looked so sharp. Uh, everything that Manchester United did that was threatening came through him, not just in terms of looking like he might score himself, but the way he was providing for others. And you could, I start to see a little bit of maturity coming into his game in yeah. terms of his awareness and trying to pick other people out. So that's definitely a good thing looking ahead to the future. And I think we talked about it in relation to Arteta as well. You know, managers have to make big calls at certain points. And Ole has already made some and there's some more to come. You know, the De Gea situation in goal, it looks like Henderson now is the number one. Will that, will that follow through into to next season? There's talk about maybe another goalkeeper coming in as well. Pogba is another big decision to be made. My view has been for a long time that he should be moved on, but that's not yeah. a big decision that manager has to make and, and will be judged on. So I think we'll, we'll see. And, and how much will he be back in the transfer market? That's, that's the big question because let's be in no doubt, Manchester United are improving, but so are Chelsea. Yeah, uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool are not going to be this bad for for so agreed, long. Agreed. Uh, C- City, I think you know. Look at the form of the year and how they might still improve for next season as well. So, improving, yes, but let's be clear about how far is still still to go. All right. Well, David Moyes remains. Uh, he hasn't won a game yet at Old Trafford as a manager of the opposing side. Arvin did. Did West Ham miss out here? Did Moyes and West Ham miss out on a chance? They were facing it. They were always coming up against the United side. Tired. We knew that, right? And and they didn't really start playing until they went behind. And you, then you saw and you thought, why didn't you play like that from the start? 
I had I had the, the, the I don't know whether it's the honor or dishonor of watching this because I woke up to a crying baby. But <laughs> the game was the game the game was clearly missing. He's a obviously a United fan, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's probably telling me not to not to watch it. But anyway, the the game was missing a certain uh, certain Lingardino. That's what they're calling him right now, right? Jesse Lingardino, right? Yeah, but no. Uh, no wins at Old Trafford, like what you say. I think his record, I think he's got like, he's lost like 11 and drawn four there. They, they did not have a single shot on target. I think there's a, there's a definite level of, a, of an inferiority complex when he goes up against these big teams. Granted, West Ham have had a fantastic season. They've had an absolutely fantastic and season. And still, head held high after the last time. Still had that. But, but he came out after that and said that he's got no regrets of the defensive display that, that, that he put out there and he wouldn't have changed a thing. But why? I mean, you didn't you didn't threaten, like you said. After they went one goal behind, yeah, that's when you start seeing them show some impetus of getting back into the game. But by then, it's 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 irrelevant because everyone else on the on the pitch didn't show up. Jared Bowen, Mark Noble looks like the game has just bypassed him by. Their attacking threat wasn't there. So I, I feel that next season, West Ham, when they go up against these bigger teams, especially away from home. Respect them to a certain extent, but take the game to them and show them how much you've improved because overall, West Ham has improved this season. Just didn't do it last night. Mark Noble could be exchanging pennants in the Europa League next season. You can imagine Noble handing a box of jellied eels over. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Monday. It's been a long weekend. Um, all right, let's talk about Leicester City and how good they are. Um, 5 0 against Sheffield United. Of course, Sheffield United, Friday we record the show, typical. Friday evening, uh, Chris Wilder decides, right, let's terminate the contract. So we did mention it on Friday's show, but that was the backdrop. They had a, a temporary manager in, and actually, Chris Wilder never lost 5-0, Nicholas Arnold, did he? His replacement, Paul Hackenbottom. I can see Arvin shaking his head. You know. Paul Hackenbottom <laughs> brings us back to 2018 as one of the worst managers ever in the history of Leeds United. And the fact that he was given uh, this, this job, even albeit on an interim basis, you know, it just spelled a doom for Sheffield United from the start. And, and you could see how Leicester just swarmed all over them right from the beginning. Ross, at the end of the at the end of the match, it could have been seven, eight yeah, million. I agree. It was painful to watch. I, I just wanted to tune off after a while because Sheffield United just didn't look like they wanted to play anymore. You know, they were all over the place, and and Leicester kept going at it. You know, there's this newfound uh, partnership that have blossomed out of the blue uh, between Jamie Wadi and Kilia Iniacho, and you know that just took off uh, on on fire. You know, both players were just you know assisting each other. You know, there was so much intended that you wondered how come, you know, Brandon Rogers did not, you know, think of this, this partnership from the start. I think it's because of the absence of James Madison and also Harvey Barnes. Yeah, that yeah, these yeah. have now got the opportunity to play. And the fact that Rogers reverted to a back three uh, that allowed, you know, the wing backs to push forward and also, you know, um, help these two up. So, you know, up front, Brandon Rogers was, you know, so superb and, and Leicester City were, were merited that five-star performance. But, I don't, I don't know where the future lies for Sheffield United because Paul Hackenbottom is definitely not the answer. So, you know, for me, they should already start looking for a replacement. They have, what, nine games left to go. Yeah. Uh, there's something still left to salvage, you know, from this season. Perhaps not Premier League status, but Friday's at stakes, you know, uh, at least try to finish the season as best as possible. But we don't see a win coming out of this Sheffield United side, not anytime soon, at least. Well, yeah, it was odd, the timing, letting Wilder go now. I mean, there's literally nothing anyone could do. You could bring Zinedine Zidane in or, do you know what I mean? 
or, or whoever. Um, uh, maybe Ellen Pardew. I no, no, no. <laughs> um, we said a few weeks ago, Craig Wilkie, going into the break, that maybe getting out of Europe would be good for Leicester City. It's proving that way. The league forms picked up. They, they're looking pretty nailed on for a top four spot, aren't they? They are, and so much credit to Leicester and, and to Brendan Rodgers. When you think about it, albeit they had that fall off towards the end of last season, but they've actually now been in the top four for the best part of two seasons. Yeah, That's the level of consistency that they've, they've been playing at, which is a real tribute to that squad. And they have some real quality players there, as, as Nick was mentioning. And Vardy impressed me so much. I mean, we, we know all that he's contributed to Leicester over the years and the goals that he scored. It was, it was incredible that he didn't score. He could have had a hat-trick. Yeah. But his link-up play and the assists that he made just shows you what, what an all-round game that he has and the, the threat that he is to defenders, even when he's not scoring himself. And albeit with all the caveats in terms of how awful Sheffield United were, it was still a very impressive performance from Leicester. And Absolutely. to me, they look, they look as though they've got over that fallout from last season and that they genuinely believe that they belong where, the, where they are and that they can carry this on, see this through and end up in that top four. And right now, I, I would tip them to make it. Brilliant. All right, we're going for a break. Short one, stick around, back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fair fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Nicholas Arnil, Arvin Sidhu, Craig Wilkie joining me this evening to talk about champions in waiting. Well, just give them the crown now. Man City, um, Fulham nil, Man City three. Uh, Sergio Aguero returned to the starting lineup, got on the score sheet. Nicholas Arnil, normal service resumed. They had one little blip, didn't they, in the Manchester derby. And then they just went back thumping teams. And... Um, yeah, we'll talk about the Champions League midweek later. But Man City, what else can you say about Pep and this City side, Nick? They don't need any gifts, Ross. And Fulham gave them two gifts, <laughs> you know. Uh, really, uh, you know, I, you expected a bit more from Fulham, you know, especially on the back of the Liverpool win last week. You know, you expected Fulham to be tight. You expected them to get physical, you know, stay tight to the, to the City attackers. But, you know, they try to play out the back. And I know that's the style that, Scott Parker has tried to integrate into this team, but you don't do it against the City side who always play the high line. You know, they always have attackers who are ready to press at any given time. And, you know, as soon as the first goal went in, there was no way back for Fulham. They really did not look like uh, getting back into this match at all. And, and City were void of a couple of players as well. Yeah. There was no Sterling, there was no Mares, there was no De Bruyne, you know. And still, they, they, they just found a way to cruise to a victory. So, um, Leaks done and dusted for sure. You know, the, the question remains about the Champions League. But for Fulham, Fulham especially, this loss has now just thrown them right back into the relegation uh, battle. And they have a huge game against Leeds coming up. If they lose that game too, then, you know, they're really back in it. Yeah. Fulham, disappointing because of what they did at Anfield the week before. And if you couple that with the fact that Brighton won, so it's been a really costly weekend for Scott Parker and Fulham, Arvin Sidhu. Um, are they going to stay up? I mean, there's still games left. They, I think they've got a West Brom meet coming up as well. So you reckon yeah. they can do it? 
Unfortunately, Scott Parker's lucky grey blazer didn't seem to work out this time around compared to last week. But, Not uh, as cuddly no, like, this weekend. Exactly. Like, like, but like Nicholas said, I mean, the gifted, the gifted City and, and Tosin Adarabayo, who's been so good for them this season, an ex-City yeah. youth player, by the way, to come up with mistakes like that, Georgie Manderson as well, which they, they, like I've said many times on the show, Fulham, when they started the season with that back four, were always going down. But he's changed it. He's changed that back four and they look so solid. They didn't need to do what they did against City. But in a way, even if they didn't, you would expect City to have won that game. So, um, Fulham, for me, when you compare them to the other so-called relegation pretenders of Newcastle, Brighton, to a certain extent, I still feel that Fulham have got the momentum behind them. They, they show that they want to go out and win games as opposed to a, a Steve Bruce, at least. Graham Potter is, is, is finally got, got something last night. But... So I still think Fulham have got a good chance, but like what, like what Nicholas said, if they lose to Leeds next weekend and the other teams pick up points, then they've got a, a mighty challenge on them. But still in it with a shot. Okay, Fulham alive for now. Uh, clock is ticking. Then, um, all right, Leeds nil, Chelsea nil. I know I've got two Leeds United fans here, so I'm going to go straight to the Liverpool fan. <laughs> Greg Wilkie seems fair enough. No, you're going to tell me whether Chelsea lost two points here or gained a point. Because for me, I mean, it was a, it was a high-octane nil-nil. Normally, nil-nils are boring. This one was watchable. And for me, Mendy saved Chelsea here. He did. And his manager admitted that afterwards. He was full of praise. And rightly so, not just for that performance, but performances he's been putting in for most of the season and certainly in the last few weeks. Yeah, the Chelsea situation is, is quite interesting. On, on the one hand, I give Tuchel a lot of credit for the way he's come in and imposed his style of play on that group of players very, very quickly. And you can see how they've responded to him, that, that system that he's changed. And I'm sure that when he arrived, he watched a lot of the games that Chelsea had played earlier in the season. And then he identified that he really wanted to tighten things up at the back. He wanted to cut out some of the silly mistakes that they were making. And, and that was his priority. But at the same time, I think it's, when you come in as a new manager, it's easier to sort things out defensively. That's on, on the training ground, that's the, it's easier to work from that basis first and get things set up the way you want. It's harder to then change that into how you want to play from an attacking point of view. Yeah. And that's where we can see that Chelsea are still very much a work in progress. And even on, under Lampard, that was the case. All the questions were asked about so much money spent in the summer, all this attacking talent. How are you going to put them all together in the same team? How are you going to make it work? How are you going to get the best out of those players? Lampard didn't quite solve that conundrum. We can argue whether he had enough time to do it. Tuchel's come in, of course, it's very early stages, but he's still very much figuring that out as well. I don't think he knows what his best, his best front line is. I don't even in the middle of the park, he still has some questions. And you know, a player like Ziyech is probably the, the key to all of this. You know, can you undoubtedly a hugely talented footballer? But how do you fit him into that system and become the sort of creative hub for Chelsea? Yeah. And is Tuchel one of those coaches that's going to give players that sort of freedom? You know, I, I, I detect a little bit of kind of Mourinho systems approach with him where it's, it's very drilled, it's very systematic, it's very rigid in a way, mostly from a defensive point of view. So then how do you go and let those players express themselves and attack? And actually, I, I don't think they put Leeds under all that much pressure going forward, no. really. Exactly. I, and you can see, we can almost uh, imagine Roman Abramovich going, I can sort this out. 200 million, Erling Brad Haaland. Done. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just go and do that this summer. Um, 
but Leeds United, we, we, we yeah, they, they were good value for, for the uh, point. Maybe should have got more, but worrying that after, was it 33 minutes, Patrick Bamford, Nicholas Arnold, went off with a hip injury. Have we heard it? It's, is it anything bad? Is he out for a while? Because should I sell him in my fantasy football? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a disappointment uh, to, to lose Bamford so early on, especially on his 100th appearance. Um, and Bielsa didn't have much options on the bench as well. No. You know, he had to bring on a, a not fully fit uh, Rodrigo, who was taken off uh, towards the end. So, subbing, you know, this... subbing subs, and they're all number 20s. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but in, in Bielsa's defense, you know, he did it purely because Rodrigo was not fit, not because yeah, the player yeah. was not performing. And I thought Rodrigo did well in that, in that cameo which he had. Uh, on the back of this this match, I thought it was a well-deserved point, and I'm sure Arvin will agree with me as well. You know, Leeds desperately needed some sort of uh, confidence, you know, to get points from somewhere after losing the last two games, you know, and coming into this match, um, they they did not have much possession. In fact, only 38%, which is the least that they have possessed in a long, long time. And so to come away with a draw and almost bag a win, um, you know, if not for Mendy's uh, brilliance. I think uh, was a point well taken, and it really sets them up for the uh, Fulham game uh, this coming weekend. Arvin, for 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 Leeds, it's it's quite obvious. You, it's a pretty thin squad. They they need some some recruitments, maybe another centre forward. But it's not as easy as that because with Leeds, you kind of have to sign a player that fits the the whole aura, the work ethic. So you can't like go and get a Lukaku. Who probably wouldn't work, you know what I mean? Although it probably would work, I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 interesting because uh, Andrea Radziani spent about hundred over million this past summer, and Leeds have had good investment coming into the club from the 49ers in America, so they they've actually got money to spend this coming window. But you're right with Marcelo Bielsa as well. You will you will need the transfers to happen quickly. Yeah. So that they can get into the regime of the, whole, yeah. the, the fit, the fitness, and all that. Marcelo Bielsa will probably never buy a player in January for Leeds unless it's an emergency situation because he knows it's going to take them at least a month, a month and a half to get up to scraps, and then it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But yeah, the, the squad does need a couple of couple of additions. A lot of those players, for all that they have done, are still in a way championship, some even League One players. So that should, shows the, the, the work and the brilliance that Marcelo has brought to the squad. The likes of Stuart Dallas who came from Brentford. Luke Ayling as well came from lower league clubs, yeah. but they've done really well. Yeah. But there will be additions this this summer in a couple of areas where quality is needed. What's important for Leeds right now is that 36 points, 28 games played, a couple more wins, they'll stay up and then they march on to the next season. But I agree with Nick. I thought they well-deserved point on the day. They, they worked their... They worked really hard for that point because you could see I was I was messaging a friend who who doesn't watch football that much and he asked me, have all the Leeds boys just eaten drinking so much Red Bull before the game? They just don't stop running. I said, that's how it's been like for the last three seasons. You got to get used to it. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, Tuchel remains unbeaten. Right, uh, another break. Stick with us. Back with more after this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Welcome back. It's our Monday look back at the weekend's EPL action with Craig Wilkie, Arvin Sedu, and Nicholas Arnold. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, check out TFIF on video 
on YouTube. It's our YouTube channel where we, we talk about La Liga, Bundesliga and Serie A. And there are some ace topics to, that we cover. Um, all right, let's wrap up the Premier League scores for the weekend. On Friday's show, we had Des Corkill lambasting Burnley and Burnley's style of play and saying it's not worth his subscription money and all that. I think Sean Dyche obviously downloaded the show and played it to the boys because they were expansive. They went to Merseyside. They shocked Everton, Craig Wilkie. They came away with a 2-1 win, don't you know? They did. I'm sure Des knows. I hope he was watching. Uh, (laughs) It was... Well, actually, for a few weeks, to me, it's been back to the Burnley of old, the Burnley that we we got used to for a few seasons of not always playing the prettiest football, but playing a very, very effective style of football. It's still a 4-4-2, but when they play it well and they commit men forward in numbers, they can provide an attacking threat. And we saw that throughout the game against Everton. And both the goals, but especially the second one from McNeil, uh, we've already talked about a a few good goals on the show, but... This one, it had a little bit of everything about it. I mean, the way he's taken the touch and and come inside and then opened his body up again and shaped and the the curl and the bend that he's got on the shot and just straight into the top corner, absolutely fantastic. And no more than Burnley deserved because I thought over the course of the 90 minutes, they were the better side. And we can, I'm sure we will have questions to ask about Everton and how they played, but Burnley, when when they get in your face like that and they press and they don't give you any time on the ball, and then they start to just work their way up into opposition territory. And then they can get players forward in the wide areas. You've got target men that can hold the ball up, and they create a lot of chances. And as the game wore on, it wouldn't have even been a surprise for Burnley to go on and and score a third. That that was how it was going, rather rather than looking like Everton would get back in it. And, of course, they've always had a bit of solidity, I think that back four has played together for quite a long time. They're, they're not an easy team to break down. And he's kind of gone back to basics a little bit, it seems to me, Sean Dyson. Also give him a bit of credit for the fact that they went through a difficult patch and he didn't panic. He knew that he had good quality players there. He knew that his system would get them back on track. And he stuck with that. He's trusted in it. And Burnley now look to me as if they're going to be quite safe. Yeah. Um, for, for Everton, it was a massive spanner in their... Uh, top four works and uh, Pickford uh, it's gone off injured as well Nicholas Arnell um, not a good weekend not I mean it's the run in now you expect Ancelotti's side to be firing a bit better right yeah I, uh, exactly you know on the back of the uh, Chelsea loss last weekend uh, you would have you would have thought that this was a perfect opportunity for Everton to bounce back but um, like Craig mentioned they just didn't have uh, the desire that was needed for this game. You know, Burnley looked like they wanted it more. You know, they set out uh, on a team on fire and, you know, Everton were playing catch-up right from the start. And even after uh, Calvert-Lewin got that goal for them, you know, it just seemed like Burnley were going to go on and get a comprehensive victory. And I think some of the players have slackened off, you know. They have made good starts. You know, you look at the likes of Richarlison and James Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. you know, and even the back line, you know, which was so strong. Uh, earlier in the season, you know, Michael Keane and Gary Mina, we don't see that sort of commitment in this uh, Everton uh, lineup anymore. And I think that's what uh, Ancelotti will be looking to, to, to work with with these players because, you know, a lapse in concentration, especially in this stage of the season when you're chasing a European spot, is, is uh, 
unacceptable and you know it only takes one or two games for you to slip up and ultimately lose that race yeah thankfully there no there were no fans in but there might be fans back for the final two games of the season so fingers crossed uh west brom We'll be glad to welcome fans back at the, into the Hawthorns for two games ago. Um, they lost 1-0 at Crystal Palace. After the game, Arvin Sidhu, Sam Allardyce said there are 27 points left. We need 20 of them. I literally spat out my Milo over the television. <laughs> the Crystal Palace versus West Brom. Can you imagine the amount of owners in the UK that would have taken their dogs out for a walk during this game? <laughs> I would have got a I... dog to take out for a walk. Exactly. I watched it and I'm thinking to myself, okay, firstly, West Brom, whatever Big Sam has come out and said, they had one shot on goal. How do you expect to come out of a relegation scrap when you're behind by so many points, when you don't even threaten to score? No side has conceded more goals since he's, since he's taken the job. No side has lost more games since he's taken the job. So the, the, the method that West Brom thought would have happened when they got Big Sam, yes, he will keep us up. He's done it with every other team. Somehow has bypassed him by. This could be a combination that the West Brom players are just not good enough or his methods maybe are not reaching out to players like how they used to be. It could be one or the other. Oh, but a yeah, combination, I think. Yeah, a good combination yeah. of both. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... I'm just thinking myself, watching the game, I'm thinking myself, looking at Roy Hodgson and, and Big Sam talking before the game and laughing about, they're probably just thinking, well, we can't, can't wait for tea time rather than watching this on the pitch because that's what it was. It, it's a Wilfred Zaha with a shot and getting deflected and then a penalty and all that. There was, it's just not much entertainment in, those, in that game. Palace will stay up because as long as Zaha is there, they'll stay up. But uh, other than that, West Brom looked like they're doomed. They and Sheffield United are definitely not going to stay up, no matter how optimistic or what he says from a points perspective. They're not <laughs> going to get those. They're not going to get those points. Has been sell by date gone. See you, Big Sam. Uh, Southampton one, Brighton two. A massive win for Graham Potter's Brighton. This one, Craig Wilkie, South Coast derby. Um, yeah, they needed that because you know we were talking about a resurgent Fulham recently. Uh, Brighton and Newcastle, you would pinpoint as the two teams most likely to if Fulham are going to survive. So, but it was a good win for Brighton, much needed as well. I thought they played really well. Lewis Dunk before he went off at halftime, what a first half he had! Did you see that sprint he made? I, I, I like I put on Twitter, what did he have for breakfast? And uh, <laughs> Gary, Gary Stevens in Thailand immediately liked it because he's an ex-Brighton player. But yeah. Good goal as well. Yeah, I always like headers from about 18 yards out, which is <laughs> was a what, power which is what it, it was incredible because he was going back away from goal as well. So the, the power that he generated on that header was fantastic. I'll say this about Brighton, though. Over the course of the season, they've impressed me with how they've played. Performance-wise, they play nice football, they keep possession, they create quite a number of chances, actually, in a lot of games, yeah. but they haven't been turning those performances into wins. And that, that's been their big issue. And what will have been so pleasing, I think, for Graham Potter was to score a couple of simple goals. You know, one, one a header from a corner. Actually, the other one was a very well-worked move. It was. But it, 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 was, it was a very direct move. And it, it wasn't kind of players trying to take too many touches in around the box. It was just getting forward quickly, getting through the defence. And then it was a great, great finish as well from, from Trossard. So Brighton, yeah, you're right. They've, they've been one of those clubs who've been at risk of getting dragged down into the relegation zone. I personally believe they have too much quality. I think in the likes of Lalana, Welbeck even still leads the line quite well. 
Gross is a player who's maybe gone off the boil a little bit at times, but when he's back and playing well, he really brings something to that side. So they, they've had good performances and, and they just had to turn those into wins. It was yeah. an important win. Southampton have been on a very poor run of form, so it wasn't a bad place to go. Um, but they'll be feeling a lot happier this Monday and starting to look forward to the rest of the season with a bit more confidence, I imagine, Brighton. Yeah. At one point, Southampton were top of the table. Their, their internet, social media went stop the count. It was all really funny. I retweeted it and stuff. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Carried on counting, didn't we? <laughs> let, let, let's look, look back at the Friday game because we, we should talk about Newcastle. They're the other team who were in trouble along with Brighton going into the weekend. But Newcastle made up some, some ground. They, they at least got a point against Aston Villa. Going into this one, this was always going to be a draw, Arvin Sidhu. This had X written all over it. Yeah, a poor game though. Uh, it would have been quite cruel, I felt, for Newcastle to lose that one. Yeah. Uh, the game, if you look at the highlights from a highlights perspective, especially on Stadium Astro or wherever else you managed to catch mm-hmm. it, it only came alive in the last five minutes. So you'll see a few highlights at the start and then they move to 84th minute. Literally just kick off and then 84th minute. <laughs> <laughs> because nothing, nothing, else, nothing, nothing else happened to, in, in between. But I was reading, it was such an interesting quote that Joe Cole came out with on Newcastle. He came on and said, if Newcastle were in the current situation that they are, Steve Bruce would be the guy that they would hire to get them out of the position that they are. And I'm thinking to myself, but Steve Bruce put you in the position that you're in right now. How does that, how does, so sometimes when these pundits come on, it just adds a bit of, bit of entertainment with what they say. But again, uh, two wins out of 18. He's, he's come out now and blamed coronavirus. I'm sorry, Steve Bruce. Every team has, in a way, been affected by coronavirus. Yes, we know the Newcastle training ground was closed. They've got a few injuries with their front three. We get it. But every team has been affected by it. The fact is that they just don't win enough games. And Jamal Lasells, if he did not come up with that hit yeah. at the end, Newcastle will be seriously, seriously looking over their shoulders. Even with Fulham losing because Brighton would Brighton won. So, yeah, uh, disappointment for Villa. But Newcastle really, really are counting the lucky stars that they got that, that last minute ahead of a- Jamal Absolutely. Lasalle. I wanted to come in and season how much actually in, in pounds that Jamal sells <laughs> equalizer would be worth. Um, all right, final break. That's your EPL for the weekend. We're going to look forward to what's coming up for you this midweek. Stay tuned. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. This season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Back with Craig Wilkie, Arvin Sidhu, Nicholas Arnil, looking forward to the uh, football action that's happening this week. There's one more round of EPL matches. Wolves against Liverpool is a Tuesday 4 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Craig Wilkie, it's a big one. Liverpool fans would have been looking at the results, thinking, oh, Leicester won, Man United won, got ground to make up here. Currently in eighth. All right, put all that aside. Let's talk about the centre-back partnership. Um, <laughs> that It's done all right. I mean, if, if you look at the European game, it's got to be the same again. Kabak back there, Fabinho protecting from the front, uh, you know, in midfield. Will that be the case, you reckon? I think so. I, I hope so, but, but who knows at this stage <laughs> of the season. I, 
you know, for, for so many weeks now, I, I've come on the show on a Monday and, of course, Liverpool have, have been losing almost every weekend, so it's, it hasn't been that much fun. So I'm just happy that they're playing on a Tuesday morning for, <laughs> for, 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 for a change. Uh, we'll, we'll have a special podcast with Craig Wilkie <laughs> on a Wednesday, <laughs> if you know what happens. We, we, on, only if Liverpool lose, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, of course, the, the centre-back situation has been so well documented and, and it hasn't been easy at all. But at the same time, you've got to look at the performance levels throughout the entire side. And actually, the midfield has been at the heart of what Liverpool have done well under Klopp. You know, so much of the, the energy and the pressing, not only going forward, but also protecting the back four has, has come from, you know, the players who played in there. And that's been disrupted too. And you can see with Fabinho going back in there and playing, they giving a bit more protection to those behind him. That's helped. Uh, I think we have to remember that it's difficult for some of those players who've come in recently, you know, the new centre-backs, and trying to establish themselves at that level, trying to come into a team that hasn't been playing well, there's been low on confidence, yeah. coming into a defence that's been shaky. You know, even the goalkeeper has had, has had spells this season where Alisson's not been at his best by any means. Uh, so, so it's been tough. And all, all said and done, though, you look at Liverpool's team, you look at Liverpool's squad, and they should not be an eighth. You know, no. whatever injuries... They have suffered. Um, whatever ups and downs there's going to be over the course of a strange season like this, there there has just been too drastic a fall off in, in performance levels. And that's if there's anything that's going to worry Klopp over the longer term, it will be that. I think I mentioned before that I expect to see some changes to that squad. We'll we'll see who that that might be. But also to my earlier point that other teams are not just going to sit still and you know wait for Liverpool to to get get themselves back into form. You know, Chelsea are, are going to go on and improve. Arsenal, even under Arteta, are going to be a more f- formidable side next season. City, we know. And basically, whoever signs Haaland yeah. might, might, start the, might start the season as, as favourites, yeah, right? So absolutely. it's going to be a very, a very important few, few months for Liverpool to just try and get some of that momentum back. I personally think top four is, is probably too far a stretch right now. And then, and then how they, they build in the summer for, for looking ahead to next season. They need to reel off a, 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 a run of wins here. Um, for Wolves, uh, Raul Jimenez is, is back in training, which is good news for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a big game for them. They, they, it's a weird season for Wolves. We've, we've talked about them enough. Uh, they, they're mid-table. They're 13th. I think they'll be happy with a draw. Uh, Liverpool won't, though. Um, all right, let's look at the other games. Champions League is happening on Wednesday. Man City hold a 2-0 lead over Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, this is the one, Nicholas Arnil, this is the one that Pep wants more than any other, right? Because he's a serial winner. If he gets this, it will be a league and Champions League double, which is formidable. Yeah. Uh, he's already looking beyond this game, I'm sure. Um, and going back to your point, uh, Ross, it's been 10 years since Pep last won the Champions League. With wow. that all-dominating Barcelona squad, can you imagine? Ten years ago, you know, uh, he came to Bayern. You know, Bayern took him uh, with with hopes of winning the Champions League, and he came close, did not get there. And then he came to City. You know, he was he was part of this project that was going to get the Champions League. And I think the closest he've come was a semi-final place, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of seasons ago. So he'll be desperate, you know, to get his hands on that Champions League trophy. And I think that is why he has stayed as long as he has in Manchester City because uh, he's not been known to stay uh, beyond three seasons in any club. You look back at Barcelona and then Bayern Munich. 
but he's been in City now. This is his fifth year. And I think he wants to see this out. He wants to complete the mission. Everything else he's got, uh, bar, bar the champion, uh, Champions League. And, you know, uh, with Barcelona out, um, with Juventus also out, you know, he will definitely fancy his chances. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I think this, this game is a, is a, is a no-brainer. Munchen Gladbach have lost the last six games. City already 2-0 up. You know, he should be cruising this uh, to, to this game at home. Uh, but it will be the upcoming games that he will really set his sights on. Especially now that the league is almost wrapped up. Yeah, uh, Gladbach will probably exit Europe for this season and next. They're currently 10th in the Bundesliga. That's Wednesday, 4 a.m. Chelsea hold a 1-0 lead uh, over Atletico Madrid thanks to Olivier Giroud. It's a Thursday, 4 a.m. kickoff this one. Now, Tuchel, this is like a, almost a bonus thing, Arvin Sidhu. For Thomas Tuchel, isn't it? But yeah. when you get to the last eight, you suddenly go, whoa, hang on. Knock that out. Last four. Hang on. Hang on. We can win something. And this is something big. It's huge. And we know how much that the European Cup means to Roman. They, they've already won it once. How with would Roberto take it if Thomas Tuchel won it, eh? Exactly. The fact that he took them to the, to the, to the final last season. Uh, and they've got a good chance because defensively, as much as... Um, Craig talked about it and I agree with that they haven't figured out that front line yet. But defensively, they are sound. And Atletico Madrid have been slowly, slowly dropping away in La Liga. Even on the weekend, they drew against 10-man Getafe. So it's not, it's not all rosy for Atletico right now. So the lead that Chelsea have and the defensive solidarity that we've been able to see them do it, I won't be surprised that Thomas Tuchel goes into this game and says, you know what, I'm just going to shut up shop. Shut up shop, let Atletico come to me, which is not really saying much because Atletico don't really come towards you. But let them come to me and then I'll try and hit them on the break. So uh, they're in a good position. And like you said, after that, it really depends on the luck of the draw. Who could they get in the next round? They yeah. could get a Porto. A Porto did well against Juve, but most teams would say that we would fancy the Porto not even in the top two in, in the Portuguese league. So it, it, it makes for interesting reading. If they manage to get through. Yeah, Yeah. in the next round, uh, clubs of the same nation can then face each other. So that becomes super interesting. All right, in the Europa League, um, I guess, Craig Wilkie, Mikel Arteta has got to make the Europa League Arsenal's priority from now until the end of the season, right? I mean, they're coming up to the quarterfinals, more than one foot there already. 3-1 up against Olympiacos. He's got to be putting all his eggs into this Europa League basket. Yeah, well, they, they're definitely looking in a good position against Olympiacos. Personally, I think the way Arteta will see it is he'll be saying to those players, you've shown me the level you can play at. You've shown me in the London derby. You've shown me in that previous game against Olympiacos. You've shown me a couple of other times in the season as well, the standards that we can set. And I want to see you maintain those for the rest of the season. I want that consistently. I don't want to see it one off and then the next two games we fall off and then we try and come back to it. And it was interesting to me, even what Arteta said ahead of the derby. I think someone asked him in a press conference, you know, how important is it to be, to make London red, you know, to be the top, top of the town. And he said, I'm not interested in making London red. I'm interested in taking Arsenal back to where they belong, which is top of the Premier League competing in Europe. Now, it's a dangerous thing to say because Arsenal are still so far away from that, it can seem a little bit ridiculous. But um, Arteta's a very careful, thoughtful man. He, he won't have just said that you know, off the cuff. He wants to m- give that message to his players and say, this is my ambition for you and the club. 
And if, if you want to be here and part of this project, that's the sort of standards that we're going to set. And even, even what we're seeing with the discipline, you know, it yeah. doesn't matter who you are. If, yeah. you're, if you're not here on time doing the job that I'm asking of you day in, day out, then you will not be part of this football club in terms of taking it where I want to go. And that's, that can only be a good thing. You know, Arsenal fans hearing that will say, yeah, this, this, is, this is what we want. Now, getting there is, is a completely different thing. Um, but he's seen enough, I think, in the last few weeks to say, OK, there's something to build on here. And let's keep that momentum going. That's what he'll be focusing on. All right. Friday, 1.55 a.m. Arsenal against Olympiacos. They're 3-1 up. Spurs are 2-0 up against Dinamo Zagreb. That's also Friday. 1.55 a.m. Uh, the AC Milan-Man United tie is poised at 1-1. It's Friday at 4 a.m. Um, actually, I've, I've been looking at the United squad. They're going to be pretty depleted. <laughs> Marcus Rashford's come back uh, for the weekend. I understand Cavani might be available, but uh, they're very thin and, and they must be running close on empty now, I've been saying, this, this United side. They are the likes of Bruno. I, I try to think of myself, when was the last time Bruno Fernandes was actually given an extended break or even even half a game or, or one game? So they've had some injuries. They they look the game against Milan, the first leg, to be honest, Milan did have some chances as well. And they yeah. would be ruining the fact that Milan got that last minute goal from Simon Kier. When when sometimes when the first leg ends that way, it can translate to the second leg. Yeah. Yes, Milan are not great at 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 what, what's happening right now. They've kind of fallen off a little bit. But Manu need to score. They they need to score a goal. If they don't score a goal, they're out. But um, in that sense, United's away from is good as well, so they can depend on that. But yeah, as you said, they just need to find a couple of fresh legs, show a bit more dynamism, and I still think it's going to be a very good second leg. It's what stage is set for young Mason Greenwood to have a blinder. Four AM kick off that one. All right. In a nutshell, very quickly, that is your midweek football. I've got to say thanks to the guys. So thank you, Nicholas Arnil. Yes, Ross. Uh, thanks to Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week. And thanks, Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. I'll see if my legs recover a little bit in the next few days. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. You guys have a great week. I'll speak to you on Friday. Bye now. Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.